0: The cross really necessary? Is the cross in all that it is in Christ suffering his death? Is it really necessary for all sin? Now, we like to levels, make levels out of sin. So we like to say murder is a sin that I would never commit, and it's not on the same level as gossip. So is there a need, is it necessary for Christ? To die on the cross and suffer the pain and accept the wrath of God just for my lowly gossiping. Is that really a need? Is that a, is that too harsh of a punishment? And I think some of us, if we could, if we could speak to the just judge, if we could speak to the God of justice and say to him, hey, look, I'm looking at my life introspectively and I'm seeing the sin that, that I've done. And I just want to know, like, could, could you just put Jesus in time out for me? Like, could he just sit in the corner somewhere for just a little while just to accept my sin? Like, like the sins that I've done aren't that harsh. So surely the punishment and the suffering and the receiving of your wrath uh, isn't justified in just the sin that I've committed. But then we like to point fingers and say, uh, you know what, that person over there is a terrible little sinner. And yeah, well, somebody's going to have to die for that. Somebody's going to have to die for that sin to be to be forgiven. So we have to have a good understanding. Is the cross necessary? It's what Christ did, absolutely necessary for all of sin. And I think this is where Romans 1 gives us a glimpse of the bad news, uh, the reality of sin. And the hope, the hope is that as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Christ, we can have a, a better understanding of the good news. So Romans chapter 1, verse 16, we'll start there. And pray for us. Lord Jesus, as we unpack your word this morning, as we listen to you, God, our hope is that you would speak to us, that we would hear directly from you, that we would have a greater understanding of what you desire of us, a greater understanding of how terrible sin is, a greater understanding of just how good the good news is. And so in that, in our response to you, in our daily worship of you, with our lives as a living sacrifice, that we might be transformed into the likeness of your Son because of the salvation that occurs through his suffering and through his death and through his resurrection. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Romans 1 verse 16 begins with For I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written the righteous shall live by faith. If you're okay with this circle or highlight or underline uh, underline the word revealed or to uncover or to bring to light or, or to remove the veil there in verse 17. And then when we get to verse 18 here I want you to underline the same word again. For in it, I'm going to read verse 17 one more time. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written the righteousness shall live by faith. So what we're saying here, what Paul is telling uh, the church in Rome is that the gospel is shedding light upon life all of life, that no longer is God hidden, but instead now he is revealing to us who he is and what he desires of us. And then verse 18 begins to reveal even more, or shed light even more on the darkness of sin and rebellion, the darkness of being separated from God. He's uncovering the truth for us. He's removing the veil for us. He's opening the curtain so we can see who he is, so we can have a greater understanding of all that he has done for us as, as much as our small mind are able to are able to hold verse 18 says for the wrath of god is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their uh, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth there are five five different little topics here in this in this verse that we're going to break down together we're going to talk about the word wrath we're going to talk about the two words, ungodliness and unrighteousness. We're going to talk about uh, what it means to suppress something, and then we're going to talk about the truth this morning. And then we'll be done. Um, we'll be done and you can go home and bask in the good news. Uh, there's this great little verse from Isaiah, or these verses from Isaiah 55, 6 through 9. It says, Seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near, but the wicked forsake his way, and the righteous the unrighteousness the unrighteous man, his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So to help us this morning to understand sin and separation and rebellion, we have to have an understanding that we will not be able to fully grasp the mind of the Lord. We cannot contain that in our small minds. We cannot understand all his ways. His ways are not our ways. We cannot understand all that. We cannot understand fully. We just have to trust in his his wrath upon sin, his wrath upon ungodliness, his wrath upon unrighteousness. We're not going to be able to understand it all. We just have to trust that God does understand and that in that, in our trust of him, we should seek him while he still is able to be found. And at this point in our life and in this world, he is still able to be found. We can still seek him. He is still revealing himself to the world. Hebrews 1 tells us that, That he is now speaking to us through his son. That his son is the exact radiance of who he is. And so if you are to seek the Lord, we seek his son. And seeking his son, we find who the Lord is. And in that, in our obedience to him, we have an understanding, a better understanding of how to be obedient to him. So again, in this short little verse here in verse 18, we're hoping that the good news will be even more appreciated in our lives by fully understanding the bad news. The drastic step that God has taken in the gospel is in sending his son to die on the cross, which is a necessary rescue plan for those who are living in sin. And then also an understanding of how sin works that people don't just commit a sin, instead, some are still under sin, as if sin is ruling over them, as if sin is lord of their life. In the beginning when we were created, we were created in the likeness of God and all things were right. And then sin and rebellion and separation happened in the world and all things went wrong. And so God sent a rescue plan. And in John chapter 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus at night, he reminds him and tells him that if you want to follow the Lord, you must be born again. And then our second In our second birth, as we are born again, we are no longer born into sin, sin ruling over us, or under sin, but now we are born into life, Christ ruling over us. And then in our life, when Christ is ruling over us, we are now being transformed into the likeness of Jesus instead of the likeness of sin. I hope this is making sense. Because in our world today, when we see brokenness all over the place we love to blame the country or the leader. We'd love to blame the person. We'd love to blame these things and point, well, if it wasn't for this generation, this wouldn't be the way that it is. If it, wouldn't, if it wasn't for this particular group of people, this is not how it would be. We have to get to a root. We have to understand fully the, the bad news. like What sin is producing in people? What sin is doing as it rules over people. An understanding of that will help us, hopefully, have a greater understanding of the good news. That people don't have to be under sin anymore. That people can be under the rule of Jesus. Having a life, living a life as he desires for us to live. A life full of the purpose. Saving us from sin for his purpose. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We'll go on and we'll come back to verse 18. Verse 19 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them plain, phaneros is the Greek word it means apparent, it means clear, it means plain it means visible, it means manifest it means open to sight it is no longer hidden we have no excuse, no one does unbelievers or believers no one has an excuse to not see in plain sight what God has done it is visible, it's not hidden God is not up on his throne hiding things from people playing some tricks on people Satan is full of trickery. God is full of grace and mercy, showing us in plain sight what he has done for us. Sin tricks, sin tempts. The Lord saves, reconciles, and gives purpose to life. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Verse 20 says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse seek the Lord while he may be found if you're not finding the Lord while you think that you're seeking for him maybe sin is in the way and this is why we say even for believers confess your sin repent of your sin Reconcile yourself to the Lord through Jesus. Don't let sin hinder your relationship with Christ nor your relationship with others. It has been made plain how to have a relationship with the Lord. It has been made plain what sin is doing in our lives as it separates us from God. Verse 21 For although they knew God they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise they became fools verse 23 and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and, animal, and animals and creeping things. When we read this and as we read the next few verses we're hoping the hope is that it's giving giving us a description of people who are not saved. The hope is it's not giving us a description of those who are saved but are continuing to live in sin. So if you find yourself this morning hearing these words and thinking, some of these things are resounding in me. Some of these things sound like my life right now. Confess your sin, repent of your sin, be reconciled to God through Jesus. No longer let sin rule over you and separate you from the Lord. Instead, let Christ rule over you and, and be drawn to the Lord or reconciled to the Lord. Verse 24 says, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies and among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever Amen so that the thing that's happening here is God is recognizing in his infinite wisdom that as sin is ruling over folks and he is not the temptation of sin begins to dictate who or what they worship Christian, saint, fellow believer Let us not allow sin to dictate who we worship. Let us see in the bad news that only Christ is worthy to be worshipped. Only his name is worthy to be be proclaimed. Only he is worthy to living a life of obedience to. He, the good shepherd, who is calling us to shepherd our heart, to lead us away from sin, let us not rebel against him. Even as a saint, let us not rebel against him, but instead let us submit to him, surrender to him, saying, you know what is best because you have the best vision of how terrible sin is. Lord, let me serve you and you alone and worship you and you alone. Verse 26 says, For this reason God gave gave them up to the dishonorable passions for the women exchanged natural relations, Lord Jesus, help this church not to be described as that. And then verse 32 says, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. So the the resounding truth of the bad news is Sin leads to death. Now I know Ecclesiastes 7 says that it is better to go to the house of mourning than the house of laughter, for by doing so, the living will lay it to heart. Like I understand what the scripture is saying there and that we should have a great understanding of just how terrible death is. And so in that, when Solomon is writing those words of wisdom, he's telling us, look backwards. Look at the bad news. Look at death. And in so doing, as you look at death, and you look at mourning, and you look at suffering and grieving, then you can have a greater understanding, and maybe your life will be in full submission and obedience to Christ because of what he has done. Let think about this. Christ, so far is the only one who withstood the wrath of God. And even in that, he still had to die. Three days later, by the power of God, he rose from the grave, but no one else has yet to withstand the wrath of God. And so we have to come to an understanding that no one ever will. And so God, in his wrath, but also in his grace and his love, sent his Son, the only one who could withstand it, to suffer in our place, to take it upon himself, so that we might have life everlasting. So go back to verse 18. Go back to verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what uh, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Let's talk about God's wrath for a second. This wrath is coming from God. It's used this word wrath is used 13 times in the New Testament. It's defined as it's defined as anger, as punishment, as vengeance, as passion, as a swelling up to oppose. It's defined as a rise up from ongoing opposition. Literally, God is in opposition to mankind's disobedience, to their stubbornness, to the resisting of the gospel, to the rebellion against what he's done. And with that, his wrath is going to be poured out. His wrath, though, is not an uncontrolled outburst of anger, but a consistent reaction of who he is against sin. When we talk about the wrath of God, he's not looking at us saying, well, you're you're good people. No, he sees sin in us and wants it to be removed. And so with that, in his love, in his burning passion against sin and his his almost hatred towards it, he said, let's find a way to remove sin from folks, from people, so that they're no longer ruled over by sin, but instead are ruled over by life and peace and joy and eternal life. Because that's what God desires of us. It's not this uncontrolled outburst, like God finally looks down and says, ah, sin, here it is again. Let's do something about it. And so he comes in like Wreck-It Ralph and just destroys everything. It's not some uncontrolled outburst. God is never out of control. He is a steadfast, loving God who is full of patience and acts at the right time. The good news, because along with that, is Romans 5.8 that says, at just the right time, God did act in sending his Son to save us from sin, to save us from his wrath. We have to have an understanding of that so that we can better understand the good news wrath is God's punishment or his anger in response to disobedience, to rebellion against God. It is not some sudden outburst that all of a sudden God has had enough, and so because he's had enough, he's going to act, but instead it is a controlled, passionate, and fixed response to sin. And then let's move to these other two words: ungodliness and wickedness. This is defined as a showering of great disrespect, even as children sometimes do to their parents. Hence, why in verse 31 it says they were or verse 30 they were disobedient to parents. This disobedience, this godlessness, this wickedness—it's a not showing respect to God. This is what I feel as if the church is most guilty of. That we don't show reverence or respect or fear to God enough. It's a means to be irreverent by refusing to give honor where honor is due. Disrespecting God by living as if he doesn't exist. We see that. We love to point it out in sinners of the world who have yet to be saved. We love to point that out and say, see, they're just living as someone who doesn't believe even in God. Yet, Christians, saints, fellow believers, we often do the same thing. We allow sin to creep back in and to begin ruling over us. We forget that Christ is Lord over us. And so we allow godlessness and wickedness to begin to rule in our lives. And so this is where God's discipline comes in. Yes, we're not receiving His full wrath, but He does discipline us. He corrects us. He shows us in the direction that we should be, that we should be going. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They suppress it, they take hold of it, and they restrain it, to hinder it. It further means to possess something but not use it. The word is only used once in the New Testament. It means to put down by force. Now we hear what you're saying, but we're going to put it away. One time with one of my daughters... I was telling her a long thing of, of uh, you know, things, truths that needed to be happening in her life at the time. And I said, are you not even listening to you To me, sorry. Are you not even listening to me? And she said, no, I got bored. <laughs> I'm not sure why you think that's funny, dads. No, I got bored. I wonder how often that is with us believers, Christians. When the Lord tells us his word here and we have it. We have his words. His words to live by. His words to be obedient by. How many times have we said even as a believer, I just want to know what the Lord desires of me. Seek and find may be found. Good news. Hebrews 1 again tells us he can be found. His son is teaching us. Find his son and you find the Lord and you know what to do with your life. You can live in obedience for him. Don't get bored with what the Lord is telling us to do. And what is he telling us to do? What is it that these folks here listed in Romans 1.18, what are they suppressing? What are they getting bored with? What are they putting down by force? They're putting down truth. Something that has proven to be correct. I walked in on a conversation at lunch this past week, and uh, there were three adults talking about talking about the um, the death that Jesus died and the timing of that death. And how surely there was a more brutal way in history. Surely there was a more brutal way. So why did God choose for, for Christ to die on a cross? They in themselves were thinking and coming up with scenarios that they thought would have been a much more brutal way. Well, how do we answer that? We answer it with truth. The reason why Christ died on a cross was because it was prophesied about. Because truth said, this is how the Messiah will die. So if you want to change the way he dies, you have to go back and change prophecy. You have to change truth. You can't come up with another scenario. I don't say, this would be a better scenario. No, God, in his infinite wisdom, declared how it would happen. And it happened, so it happened. And so we're seeing that this truth is something that has proven to be Correct. Reese asked a question from, from Super Summer this past week, uh, particularly about, um, some, some questions that were being asked about, um, Jesus' stepdad, Joseph. And, uh, and so how do we answer those questions? We answer them with truth. We don't say, well, in my opinion, this is the way I think it happened. No, we look at truth and we say, this is how it happened. We do not suppress it. We do not say I'm bored with it. And so I'm going to create my own story. But instead we say, this is how it happened happened truth the greater meaning of this word is the true ideas of god which are open to human thinking without his supernatural intervention sometimes a person can know and understand it's a fact that has been verified it has a blue check beside it it has been verified this is the truth and so we follow it romans 1 8 118 for the wrath of god is revealed from heaven against sin, against ungodliness, against the unrighteousness of men, who by, in acting in their unrighteousness and ungodliness, begin to suppress the truth. So the wrath of God is going to be poured out upon. The wrath of God is going to be poured out upon sin and those who are in sin. The wrath of God is going to be poured out upon those who suppress God's truth and do not live by it. The wrath of God will be poured out upon those folks. What is the good news in this? What is the good news in this bad news? First, let's think about this. These folks, whoever they are, that Paul is writing about, inspired by God, were in this terrible downward spiral of sin. They knew about God. They did not acknowledge or glorify him. They did not thank him. Their thinking became futile or useless or ineffective. Their foolish hearts were hardened. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served created things. They did not consider it worthwhile to retain or hold on to the knowledge of God. They had a depraved mind and they did what ought not to be done. It's a downward spiral. And unfortunately, we're, we're seeing results of that downward spiral still to today. There was a time I wish I would have grown up in it. In fact, I long for that almost. I'm jealous of some of you because of culture that seemed heaven-like. that the downward spiral of sin didn't seem to be reigning. Yet yeah, we're not living in that anymore. We're seeing everywhere the brokenness of sin. And so how do we respond to that? How do we respond to that? Do we point fingers and say, I'm glad I'm not them? I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad I'm not a part of this downward spiral of sin. And in our judgment, what happens? We join back up in the downward spiral of sin. It's like when you got thrown off the merry-go-round on the playground growing up. And you just, for whatever reason, as you're not even able to walk, you got vertigo going. You're like, I want to get back on. And everybody's like, Why? Because I love to throw up. (laughs) I mean, the Proverbs comes to mind just now like, as a dog returns to his vomit, so the foolish man returns to his sinful ways. So we don't want to, as people belonging to God, jump back on the downward spiraling merry-go-round of sin. Because we understand God's wrath. the I mean, Hebrews tells us that if we go on deliberately sinning, it's like we're crucifying Christ all over again as believers. If we have an understanding of what he has done, and yet we still jump on the merry-go-round of sin, it's as if we're sacrificing him all over again. We don't want to be a part of that. And so, in our desperation as people who are belonging to God, we say, I don't want to be a part of sin at all. I don't want sin to rule over me at all. Instead, I want to embrace fully the good news. And when this 15 year old girl who tells the story of being saved and adopted by parents who want to love her, but daily is tempted, daily is tempted to fall back into. But my biological parents hate me. They don't want me. They left me in a park to die. What do we do? We say, let sin rule over them. Let sin rule over them. You don't let sin and shame and guilt rule over you. Instead, you see what Christ has done for you. In my own daughter's life, who's been, who we adopted, almost weekly I think about her biological mom. And how I want to punch her in the face because of what she's done and the effects that she's done over and over again. The lasting effects in her own kids. The downward spiral of sin. And I say, yes, God, please pour out your wrath upon her. And then in that I'm convicted because I'm deserving of that wrath too. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Sin leads to death. But church, the good news is this. Christ has stepped in our place and received the wrath of God upon himself so that we don't have to, so that Roxy's biological mom can be saved from her sin, just like I was saved from my sin, and many of you in this room have been saved from your sin too. That's the greater story and when we have an understanding and I'm pounding on a pulpit like a real preacher we have a greater understanding when we see what sin actually does when we see that then church we will be on our knees worshiping Christ we will say I want to minimize fleeting things and maximize the eternal king because he is the only answer when we understand that when we understand just gossip and murder are the same That slandering and disobedience are the same. When we see that sin leads to death, we want a rescuer. Lord Jesus, rescue us from our sin as the church. Let us see in our second birth that you're transforming us into your likeness. And in that, let us have mercy on the rest of the world. This morning, my hope is this. We're talking about the doctrine of sin here and how it separates us from God. Let us not suppress the truth. I know the wrath of God is a scary subject. I know the wrath of God is a depressing subject. But when we come to an understanding of what Christ has done in the good news, in the, the doctrine of adoption, in the mercy that he has given to us, folks, I believe wholeheartedly That we rise up saved Hopeful Declaring to the rest of the world You too You too can be Freed from your sin We pray for us Lord stir in our hearts this morning A passion for you and you alone Lord help us not to suppress the truth Help us not to celebrate ungodliness Or wickedness Help us not to pass over your wrath, but instead help us to see how merciful you are, and that we, as people deserving of your wrath, instead you pass over us for the blood of your Son. God help us to see that the wages of sin is death. But you have given us a gift just at the right time. And that the blood of your Son is enough. God, help us to see that and worship you wholeheartedly this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.